When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Legends Lounge. I'm Trill Withers, and with me in the lounge today, we have former Trinidad State Trojan and Detroit Mercy Titan. He was MVP and Rookie of the Year for the Denver Rockets. He's an Olympic gold medalist, NBA champion, basketball Hall of Famer. He's a writer. He's a podcaster. Uh, it's Spencer Haywood. Did, did I miss anything? I don't. I don't want to sell you short. Yes. Well, you know, I did do a little something like going to the Supreme Court to make a oh. before all of these players that are playing today and making a lot of money, which the number has added up to somewhat near $32 billion in player salary. And let me explain that to the audience so they won't think that, you know, we're just talking. Um, In 1970, I was in the ABA. I was the rookie of the year, leading scorer, leading rebounder, but I wasn't playing 20, I mean, 10 and 10. I was averaging 30 and 20 rebounds, 30 Mm. points, 20 rebounds. And uh, the owner of the team decided he wanted to give me a long-term contract, and he gave me a Bernie Madoff contract, which was a fraudulent contract that stated that I would have to stay employed to Ringsby Truck Line for my lifetime. And I would get my money starting from age 50 to age 70, Providing if I was still if I was still living, as well as employed by Ringsby Truck Line, so we decided that that wasn't going to work. So uh, Jerry Colangelo said, "Wait a minute, we are in a fight with the ABA. They are the ABA is robbing us of our players." like Rick Barry and Zelmo Beatty, Joe Caldwell, and all of those players. Mm. So why not let's go after their players? So he got Connie Hawkins, the first pool. And I say Jerry Colangelo and the Phoenix Suns because those were the two expansion teams at that time. Phoenix Seattle, and Seattle and, 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 uh, and Phoenix. Phoenix. So Jerry went and got uh, Connie Hawkins, who was the MVP before me, and then Sam decided he wanted to come and get me out of that unruly contract and this craziness that I was going through. And so he signed me to a contract and knowing all the time, all of that time that we, that I wasn't eligible to play by NBA rules. And by that, I mean, if you were a college grad, but had finished in three years, mm-hmm. then you would not be eligible to play in the NBA. You had to wait four years after your high school class had graduated before you could enter into the NBA. I thought it was wrong. And so Sam Schulman and the Seattle people, we decided to sue the NBA and the ABA and the NC2A for the rights to play, which was a three-way lawsuit. 
So when we file suit for, to play, the NBA filed suit to get an injunction against me so that I could to keep not you from play. playing. Yeah, and so their injunction, the first one, read, ladies and gentlemen, we have an illegal player on the floor, number 24. We have a 10-game injunction against him. And so he must set. He must get out of this arena, and he cannot stay in his own, in his on my on my own home court. So I had to sit in the hotel. You couldn't even stay in the arena. Living at the time in, in, in Seattle. Yeah. Wow. And so then we get after those ten games, we got an injunction to play. So then I walk out on the floor, and they threw bottles and all things. They had real bottles did back then. Glass uh, bottles. It was not like you know, none of that plastic bottles. stuff. Yeah, they had real bottles, and so they in, they um, they said, ladies and gentlemen, this game is under protest, and it's an illegal game because we have an illegal player playing in this league on the floor. So I played the next ten games. It was just all kinds of hell and whatever else. Then they got another ten game injunction against me, and then when we got to Cincinnati. We were playing the Royals, the Cincinnati Royals, which is now the uh, Sacramento Kings. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put me out of the arena, out into the snow, out in the outer banks because I could not stay. The, the injunction read, I could not stay any place where the arena set on or any land that that arena owned. So they put so me you had out to be into off the, the premises. Snow. So you had to yeah, be out of premises. Yeah on the outer perimeter on the, on the backside. And they had these policemen there watching me and I was freezing because I had on just my warm up and my, my gear. I didn't have no sleeves on and it was freezingly cold, you know? So the police said, man, we ain't gonna let you freeze. So we're gonna lose our jobs for this, but you get in this car and warm up. So we sat in there and we talked about this case and talked about life. And then the game was over. I went in, the bus came around and I walked across the street and they picked me up and we were on our way again. And that went on for a while. And then we got to Chicago to, to play the Chicago Bulls. Chet Walker, because the NBA had players that said, well, you know, because he was on the floor, because I'm on the floor, there's a problem. And so right. Chet Walker said he twist his ankle in warm up while I was playing in the Chicago Bulls, the great Chicago Bulls, the guy that I gave them is Michael Jordan and a whole bunch of other players, but they sued me for $600,000. Because Chet Walker hurt his ankle. He claimed he hurt his ankle in the claimed warm-up. Claimed he hurt his ankle. Yeah, but it didn't, really. So it was just warfare, warfare. And then it went on and on. And then we got to, it was getting into February. We moved into you know, the latter part of February, and I was at the Supreme Court at that time, and that's when Thurgood Marshall, Justice Douglas, and all of the justice said, under the Sherman Antitrust Act, you cannot stop a man from making a living in America, whereas, you know, you have it in tennis, you have it in hockey, you have it in all other sports except the two revenue sports, which is basketball and football, this law is illegal, and that's how I won my case. March 1st, 1971, uh, at the Supreme Court. 
Haywood versus the NBA. And to this day, we have called that rule uh, hardship. Mm-hmm. They've called it one and done. They've called it early entry, but they have never put my name with it as the Spencer Haywood rule, like the Oscar Robinson rule, like the Larry Bird rule that mm-hmm. they have. But the real rule, they have never acknowledged that because, you know, when you go against the system and you fight, right. sometimes you got to pay the price. And I, I've certainly paid the price, but it's a good price to pay. Definitely. Like uh, Talking a little bit before, uh, you dropped the book, The Spencer Haywood Rule. The podcast is out soon. So why you gave us kind of the backstory of why, but why now? Why now? Because uh, I'll be 73 and next week this weekend um happy time is passing i've been fighting this battle this is the 51st anniversary of this ruling i've been fighting this battle for all of these years and like i said the economics that that i have helped players to make it's over 32 billion dollars so i would hope that they will like say you know i've had um like I, I just use LeBron James and, and, and Kevin Durant because they're mm-hmm. prolific scores and, and uh, Steph Curry. Those numbers that they have right now and the number and the guys that they are passing up in terms of scoring points and rebound, they would not have had that right. because they would have had to wait for four years before they could enter. And so Kareem numbers would be out of reach for everybody. But, you know, like Carl Malone, all of those guys are under the Spencer Hayward rules. So they came in, they got three years or four years of playing on their legs, mm. on their career, and on the finance of, you know, say if you make it 50 three, million four a year, years of pay that's $200 million dollars Definitely. as an individual player. And you don't know who the guy is that did it? That's, that's some CRT stuff. <laughs> is that critical race theory? I, some would probably say it is. Some would probably well, say I it is. I kind of say it is. But it's I, a reverse critical race theory because I think the players have the right to to name their rule. And the Players Association have the right to say it is a Spencer Haywood rule. Right. What's the big deal? Right. Like oh, you that's where this came from. Like you're not telling yeah. stories out of school. Well, everybody's like, you, you talking through about the... history and how we need to go into history and you know do something with history. So here's a chance. Mm. So that's why it is happening right now. But also it happens not on my time, but on God's time. So it is happening right on time. So mm. it's just the way it is. Definitely. I don't have years left to to just wait around and say, see what people are going to do and how they're going to behave. So the podcast, we go through all of these things. We go through my first, my second episode, we had uh, Dr. William Parham, who is the head of the psychologist department for the NBA Players Association. Okay. And we had Derek, what's Derek's last name? God, darn. Uh, Derek uh, Anderson. Derek Anderson huh? from from uh, Louisville, hmm? who played with the Cardinals and also played in the NBA for years. He got an incredible book out uh, talking about his struggles to get to the league and to maintain and to do things. But Dr. Parham and I, we got into the PTSD that I suffered hmm. for all of those years because of the things that was done to me 
as a young player, I was 20 and 21 years old going through this case, you know. Right. I was not an old person. And there was no precedent. Like, you didn't you didn't no have anybody to look to before. No. You, know, you, you were blazing this trail. Blazing this trail. So, I mean, I had struggle. And so for years, it, it, it boiled and it boiled over. So now I look at it and it's, um, you know, we talked about, just let me back backpedal for a second. Sure. Dr. Parham and I, we talked about the stress, the the things that I've went through as a player, the things that I've went through as a person, because, you know, later on, my mom told me what happened to her and why my sister was so light skinned as opposed to the rest of my family. My mom was raped at the age of 11 years wow. old in Silver City, Mississippi. Mm. And uh, that produced that child. So for years, we, we never talked about what how it got there or anything right. because she didn't want the boys to try to retaliate or to have any kind of like swell up on anybody there in Mississippi. They would kill you. I was living in Klan country, so that was life and death. So that was a lot of mental stress and stuff that I had pushed down over the years. Definitely. And so uh, what happened, it culminated when I got to L.A., with the Lakers. And uh, I dabbled with cocaine and it was not crack cocaine, but crack cocaine it was in the sense that it was freebasing mm. because that was the precursor to crack. And I had this terrible fall. And so it goes into that fall and why certain things triggered certain behaviors from me. On winning time, that's mm. on HBO because out of all of the stuff I've done in my career, they take the boy's year of my life and put it on TV right? in winning time. But they got a great actor playing me. Wood Harris is like, he's killing it. He's he is. Killing it. Yeah. And it's going to get a little ugly, but uh, it's life. I don't, mm. I don't back away from anything that I've said or done. I, I did everything with, uh, with the joy of life. And now, when I did my book, the latest book with Mark Spears and Gary Washburn, mm -hmm. we explained in that book what really took transpired. So uh, there are some liberties that are taking place. With I was going to ask, you, how do you feel about that? Because it's based off a book and it's based off, you know, real stories. But at the same time, it's definitely TV. They dramatize some mm -hmm. things. So as someone who you know, lived through it, was there and is watching, you know, somebody portray you. How do you feel about, you know, some of the liberties that they've taken? Well, I think some of the liberties with uh, Magic Johnson is totally unfair. Uh, as far as he was what? not He was not like that. He was not this whore that they making him out to be. Magic Johnson was a serious person, a serious player. He was not this grinning, skinning kind of guy. Yeah. But, you know, if that's what you want to portray, I understand. And most stuff with me is kind of kind of clear because you know I uh, I didn't get a chance to talk to the writer I, when he wrote the book. I would have straightened him out and said I didn't do this certain thing that you're going to bring up later on in the show that I can't tell you about, but because I will be jumping ahead of this right. of the episodes. But uh, you know. You know, I think God has got my back, so it, I'll be well protected. Uh, Kareem was not this angry person. 
he was not stoic. He was not just sitting around and, you know, reading the Quran and saying, hey, you know, you guys are. Right, just kind of shaking his finger me. at everybody. He was, yeah. yeah, he was not that person at all. And this man has suffered because of his stance that he took over the years since 1968. So we have to sometimes look at our, our history makers and our athletes who have done some significant things and not let somebody else write their story because it becomes, you know, we always used to listen to Gil Scott Aaron and other people who say, other, other artists who would say, be careful with history because it is his story, mm. not my story and not his not a kareem story not magic story right but uh the all in all it's for television it's for the numbers that they get in which is out of this world they're getting a lot of people are watching it, a lot of eyes um I, I just say this that you know magic was not that person in the sense that he was not abusive of women he was not that whore uh kareem I like his character. I like what Solomon is doing with him, who's playing Kareem. Mm -hmm. uh, it opened up with um, him making salat, making prayers, and doing the things that Muslims in America, who's been longing and waiting to see someone do that as a role. So when I recently went down with Kareem for his uh, 75th birthday, mm -hmm. and he was like, you know, hey, and I don't like that thing, you know, and I, right. and I, I mentioned to him what, he, what this show has done for Muslims in America and around the world. Then he changed. He was like, <laughs> you know, you're right. Yeah, when you put, when you put it that way. Yeah, you put it yeah. that way. But, uh, you know, I'm like, Kareem, you know, they're going to you know, make you like you this disgruntled yeah. person. But, no, he's the, that's the GOAT, man. That guy is an incredible person. And we have had so many deep, deep conversations, not just from the year that I was with the Lakers. Kareem and I used to hang out. He used well, to come and hang, to hang with me up in Seattle. I was going to ask, because in the show, yeah, he, uh, when you got there, you already had, you know, some kind of connection. I was going to ask, you know, was that true? Did they play that up? Or were you guys really yeah, that's, you that's, had that kind of relationship? Kareem, that's, that's us, man. We were like, you know, we've been through the battles. We were the two guys who who stood up for the league and stuff. So you're going to have that kinship. Right. And again, like I said, Kareem come, came to Seattle. We were working on a court, you know, an automobile, trying to get him his automobile, uh, a vintage automobile built. Mm -hmm. uh, this, I think it was in 1973, 74, something like was that. It, you guys are doing the work. Like you all were physically working on this car? Yeah, yeah. Well, we uh -huh. were like, just hand me the screwdriver. Hand right. me the wrench. <laughs> right. So that kind of thing, and, I got you know, you. and so it was, it was, it was a good experience for both of us. And then we used to train, run Green Lake, and for the people in Seattle, they will understand. They would understand this journey of like running Green Lake training. Yeah, it was beautiful. Now, how did you, you all know, start prayers, was from uh, the making prayers? Because at that time, I was, uh, you know, I, I studied Islam, and also when I got to the Lakers. I was married to Iman, which is from a Muslim country. Mm -hmm. So all of these things were like just family. We were like his right. family, but I was an out of control young brother. And that's what Kareem always looked to me as this young friend, but a young brother that he never had. And mm -hmm. so 
I lost it a little bit hanging out with Richard Pryor and some of the others I can't <laughs> mention up here. Otherwise, they'll close the place. <laughs> I was like, yeah, we, we don't want that. But there was, uh, along with that, there were, you know, stories, a famous story. Was that when, like, you first walk into the locker room and everybody wants to know if this rumor about you is true? They put that scene in what the What scene shows. is that? The, they were asking, uh, I guess, your circumcision had you spit circumcised yourself? Is that the one? Is this true? No, you got to spit it out. Tell me. They what say it is. I don't know. If they said it was a rock or a mirror or some broken no, glass or something. Uh, I, you ain't gonna spit it out. So I'll tell you. Is it true? Yeah, I was gonna say. Is it true or false? It was I, 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 truth. It okay. is. That is truth. That is truth. What it was is in Mississippi because we don't have a, we didn't have doctors. My, I'm living in a cotton field town of like 300 people. We could not go to the white hospital because they didn't accept blacks. We could not go to the bathroom because you, it was for whites only. You couldn't drink out of the water fountain because it was only for whites only. And so what happened is when you're a kid like 12, 13, for the people like my mother was biblically speaking, she realized that, you know, there's no way for us to get circumcised, so we're going to have to do it ourselves. And, you know, you don't want your mother holding your, your penis, no. so so that ain't no. cool. So it was my brothers and I, we were working on this gig in terms of trying to tear the skin. Yeah, you have to tear the skin back. You have to tear it layer after layer. You have to tear it. You tear it. I know. Oh, Hold on, let me finish. <laughs> don't grab well, your don't grab your stuff. Hold I, on. I'm listening, but man, oh okay. man, this is. Hold, take, get your hands out of your pockets. <laughs> <you know? laughs> you tear the skin. You tear the skin, and then uh, if you have a rock, but or a sharp rock, you have to cut that skin under the bottom. Once you tear the skin all the way around, and then that's when you get the full circumcision. And then you put the liniment and ointment on it, which is burning like hell, but you got to disinfect yeah. it. Yeah. And you got to keep that going and keep that going for a month. And oh, you walk God. around like, oh my God, please. A don't month, rub man? Uh, yeah. Don't rub up against my pants. Oh, my God. It's going to kill me. <laughs> that's one. If I was one of the younger so brothers, what, I'd be like, yeah, guys, I think I'm good. Off and that. so uh, in the locker room, when I first got to the Lakers, Cooper and Magic and all of them was like, they took a bet. I bet he, he ain't, no, ain't nobody could stand that circumcision, man. That guy ain't do that. So they standing around while Wood Harris is, is, is playing me, taking the pee. Mm. And they standing around waiting and waiting. And then I turn around and say, yeah, I did it. <laughs> here it is right here. And give me the money, yeah, because they were betting. So mm -hmm. I took the bet, and that's that's pretty truthful. So all that part is true too. Along the circle, yeah. Because let me explain it to you. And now. yeah, yeah. See, it goes back to Africa. Africa, we didn't have doctors, and we didn't have all of the people who would do the circumcision, circumcision, circumcisions, mm -hmm. because it came out of Israel, and it was also done throughout Africa as well. And so without a doctor, you had to do that or you have a rabboni or a rabbi or you have an imam, mm -hmm. which is 
from from Islamic standpoint. You you, you know Someone somebody had to do it yeah. that wasn't a doctor at that point in time. So a lot of cultures, uh, you had to do it yourself right. because there wasn't doctors around. So I know you guys are like so current into I can go to the doctor, I can do this and I can do this. Oh, my tonsils are hurting. Uh, I, would you try to take your own tonsils out too? Of course, if it was bad. <laughs> I, well, what am I going to do? I don't know, man. I, there's no doctor around. Listen, you didn't have a lot of options. I get it. I didn't have an option. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, listen, I'm hey. I'm glad Listerine, you... Listerine, uh, man. You better get some Listerine, uh, some Dr. Tishner. You know a Dr. Tishner? Uh-uh. What is that? Oh, boy. What, do Dr. I, I do I want to know what Doctor Tishner? Yes, you do. <laughs> Doctor Tishner is like stronger than than uh, than Listerine. It's much oh. stronger. And when you had tonsil problem, you would like always uh, had to use that. And and I never did use it because once I got up north, up to up to uh, to Detroit, when I was like fourteen after the farmer decided that he was going to put me in jail because I was growing big and he wanted somebody to stay on the farm. My mother shipped me right out to Michigan. And when I got there and I did my physical and they tell me, you didn't do a good job with your circumcision. Bad choice. <laughs> but I mean, I thought and I was looking at my shoulders your, and my, you know, my back and stuff. And your yes. adenoids. We need to take those out. I'm like, I was well before I got up here. Right, I was feeling fine yesterday, yeah. Yes, so I got up north and all of these things are wrong. You're talking about, <laughs> you're gonna break my toes so I can so I can fit into my shoe properly because I had to wear my brother Andrew's shoe and he was a, a size smaller, so my toes was kind of balled up. And like, no, you're not breaking my toes, you're not taking my hops away. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'll do this tonsil thing and I'll like go ahead and let you work on my circumcision again to correct all the mistakes i made yeah but the but foot yeah. thing that yeah now i i don't disagree with you there that's your like you said that was your gonna be your money maker y'all can't touch them can't touch your toes man. Can't so how did did your family in detroit or something how did you yeah my brother roy was in detroit okay and he had went to bowling green state university so when i came up north i had to stay with him at bowling green state university in bowling green ohio Okay. For a while before I went over to Chicago, went over to Detroit. And so when I went over to Detroit, it went, I went over to play in an all-star, a high school all-star game. How old were you at talent. this point? 14, 15? I was 15. 15? I turned 15. So I get over there and we are playing at, Crunk, out, at the Crunk Outdoor Courts, mm. which is where boxing and all that stuff take. But we also had basketball courts. We had a baseball diamond and we have we had also tennis courts okay so i get out there and my my converse shoes i had cardboard i had a cardboard bottom because i had wore them out and had a big round hole in it mm. so i had to put a cardboard in there and and Close i was the hole. yeah so we get ready to play and then all of the players are like i don't want to play in these converse and i was like oh I get new Converse? Right. I get new shoes? No, you get a choice of shoes, country boy. You get Adidas or, or. Converse. Oh, but I, I know Converse. And I've, you know, 
So I put my my Converse on and I felt like Superman has arrived. <laughs> it was probably your size. I, they they wouldn't your I brother's a, shoes. I got some my size. Oh my God. And I got a brand new pair of Converse. You gotta be out of your mind. I'm going out here and kill these boys. <laughs> so I took up all of the shoes that they were throwing away and I'll I put them those. in the corner mm-hmm. and put them in a bag because I wanted to send them back home to Miss Silver City. And because kids there, we didn't have shoes, so we played barefooted. So it was uh, it was a good thing. So the first game, I had 27 points and 15 rebounds, and all of the high school coaches were like, "Where does he come from? What is he doing? Yeah, who's this he? kid? Yeah, it was like this this kid is." And then, lo and behold, this great coach named Will Robinson, who ended up being the first black coach in Division One history. It was a high school coach at Persian High School, and he said, I want him. <laughs> and he got me and signed me up and put me into Persian High School, but I was living with him downtown, and I was not around the family or anything, so right. they had to make a decision to uh, move me near the school because you have to be in that, in that district. Well, and district, I moved in sure. with a great family, James and Ida Bell, Justine Bell was my sister, is my sister, uh, James Bell, my brother, and Gregory Bell, my hoodlum brother. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had this wonderful growing up life, middle class life, you know, I, I had never had my bedroom or anything. I was say coming from Silver City to that. Now you, you yeah, got, I'm like, you got new Converse on your feet. Yeah. Converse on my feet. They got Motown. Aretha Franklin was sitting in the car out there. I was like, oh, oh man, yeah, man. Aretha you, Franklin. Yeah. <laughs> and they had Converse shoes. You in Detroit, everybody had two, had a two car garage. And they were making money at Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler's. Hey, man, I died, and it was like I was rich. Right. You went to heaven. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a beautiful experience. And then uh, Will Robinson introduced me to the team, and he introduced me this way. He said, fellas, we've been playing with mules. We got us a horse now. And here he is, Spencer Haywood. He's going to lead us to the Class A state championship. And and the city of Detroit had had a drought for the Class A state championship. That's a lot of pressure to put on the the new kid, though. Yeah, for 35 years. So in order to get there, we're going to have to have some help. And so I'm going to ask the Pistons to scrimmage with us. Okay. (laughs) The Detroit Pistons. So we're going to ask this new player with the Pistons Dave Bing to bring them all over, and and Dave took a liking to me and just took me under his arms and said, "You're gonna make it to the league." I was like, "What league?" <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know a thing about the NBA. <laughs> he was like, "You know, you can play college and you can play in the NBA." I'm like, "Uh, yeah, what you want to play in high that? school?" <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Can we so do that part first? Put me under his arm and start working us out and working with me and Ralph Simpson. And uh, I guess it turned out really great because we broke the drought. After 35 years, we won the Class A state championship. And then we moved on uh, from there. I moved down to the University of Tennessee where I signed out of high school as the number one player. And, uh, and that was a little bit of an upset because once you sign with a university like the University of Tennessee and you say, mm-hmm. 
well, you know, I'm going to get a chance. My mother, my mom and my family will get a chance to see me play when I play against Mississippi State and Miss mm-hmm. University. I was going to say, is that, why Tennessee? Kentucky. Is that why you went there closer to home? <laughs> and they were like, ain't no blacks down here, but <laughs> so, right. we are having a problem because uh, Kentucky is saying that they should have the first black player, black first, first mm-hmm. black superstar because they lost to Texas, Texas Western, Western the year before. And this is in 1967. So we got into this pissing contest. And then Will said, Let's, let me send you someplace you're really going to love. I'm going to send you to this place called Trinidad State Junior College. And it's close to Denver. And it's close to Albuquerque. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> so I get out there at Trinidad State Junior College, 420 miles from Albu- Albuquerque. 365 miles from Denver. I mean, that's kind of kind of close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all I can do is play basketball and hit the books because if you hit the books, you can come out after one year if you maintain uh, the B average. Okay. So that, that, that's where they so had your hard. interest. Yeah, I played so hard in basketball. I was the junior college player of the year, which they just brought me into the Hall of Fame this year. Well, congratulations. Like for long ago, overdue. Yeah, yeah I know. But on God's time, remember that. <laughs> Got to let it go sometime. So right. uh, the upcoming Olympics was coming up, the 1968 Olympics. And so you Kareem were 18, had stated, 19 at this point? How old are you now? I was, yeah, I was 18 at that 18. time. I hadn't turned 19. Uh, so they decided, well, you know, let's bring everybody to keep the junior college players from suing us for the rights to not try out because we allow, we're allowing everybody to try out for this Olympic team in Albuquerque. So we put together a team and our coach was Jerry Tarkanian, the great Tark- Jerry. Sure. Yeah. So Jerry put together this team. So we go down to play against the big boys, as they were saying, the big dogs. Mm. We got down there, man. We played against the NC2A, the NIA, the just all of the universities mm-hmm. that was there, and they they dream teams, and and I was just jumping so high and killing them and doing everything that <laughs> those new Hank shoes, man. said, "Hold it now, boy! Don't you get hurt out there." And then the first thing I was like, "You mean what do you mean? I'm, I'm not here for the for the gear because you know, <laughs> right. Tyler, I came down there for the you know for the gear, of course. So I come back to Detroit and say, "Hey, man, I tried out for the Olympic team," right. but then they said. The first player picked is Spencer Haywood. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and they said, well, you got to have a birth certificate and your passport. What is a passport? What is a birth certificate? <laughs> anyway, so they called my mother. We didn't have a phone to call the store up the street. And she said, baby, I got that boy's birth certificate right here in my Bible under John 21. So they had to send a camera from Jackson, from the Jackson Daily News down there, take a picture of the, the Bible. The they go back to, to Jackson to the vital statistics and create a, a passport. And so I have a passport. And now we're off to um, Russia, Yugoslavia. And our first stop was Russia. This is pre-Olympics, pre, pre, pre the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. So we go to Russia and they were feeding us horse for me it wasn't like that far-fetched because i had ate everything 
road kills, everything else in Mississippi because had you eaten horse before though? Survival. Huh? Had you eaten horse before though? Of course I had eaten horse before. What's it taste delicious? Like? Is it really? Delicious. Stringy, just like a steak, but stringy. And they had gravy on it. And so Jojo White and I was like tearing that thing up. And Charlie Scott was like, I can't eat it. I'm from New York City. We were looking at him like, just like them New York City boys, them city boys. Because <laughs> so Joe had went to the Army and did some Army Reserve stuff, so they eat everything. Right. So we were like, why don't we take your, your horse and we would do like this. <laughs> and so Charlie couldn't take it. So we would take you just get horse, an extra, yeah, extra horse. And he would, we would give him his ice cream. He thought he could live on ice cream. And about a week into it, he was dying. We had to send him back home to Dean Smith. Oh, Dean, come get me. <laughs> He's probably underweight, malnourished. Uh... Everything. So we sent him home. And then we finished up in Russia, finished up in Yugoslavia. And then he came and met us up in Finland. And then we moved into New York to play the Knicks as an exhibition because, you know, this team that was picked, led by this young dude, me, because mm. I just turned 19, is like, mm. they're going to lose every game. Don't worry about this. It's just mm. the team. It's gonna, this is going to be the year that we lose. So we scrimmaged the Knicks, and I did real well. JoJo, Charlie, and everybody, did. the team did so great. And Willis Reed stopped us and talked to us and said, you guys are going to win a medal. He didn't say the goal yet. And so we went down from there to, to play and scrimmage the Cincinnati Royals before we head into Mexico City. And when we got to the Royals, we played strong. And it was really great. And, and Oscar Robinson pulled me aside and pulled all of us aside and said, you know, I was there in 64. We won it all. You guys are going to win it. Our 60 or 64, but mm -hmm. you're going to win it all. And that's when we realized that we had a strong team. We got into Mexico City and hear these two cats from California walking on the campus like, hey, man, like we own this thing. That was mm -hmm. Tommy Smith and John Carlos. <laughs> and, you, <laughs> and you had... George Foreman looked like he was all shy and pinched over. <laughs> he was 19. He had just came out of Houston, out of the boys club out of there. Mm -hmm. And so we had, uh, you know, Ralph Boston, all of the guys selling products there from the former Olympians. We had Harry Edwards, you know, mm -hmm. and he was talking about, you know, you got to stand up for yourself out here, boys. You got to be ready. Because black folks in at home is in struggle. We got a Vietnam War. We got all that stuff. I was like, I don't know about all of that, sir. I just know my brother's in the war, but I just want to play basketball. I got a passport. Right. I'm so right. country. Right. I was so country. It's like I'm just trying to play play ball, man. Uh -huh. I come to play ball and to win this gold medal. And uh, so we had a good time. Dr. Harry Edwards, everybody was so gracious to me. And then just before we, we went out to, to, for the team, I mean, like when you say team, you have the whole Olympic team, not just mm -hmm. the, the basketball, but right. you got boxing, whole, you got the, swimming, the you village. have all of it. Yeah. So we had a night, we had someone come in to do an open talk for us. And that was Jesse Owens. So we were like, oh, oh wow. man, Jesse Owens, Jesse Owens is in here, you know? <laughs> so he's talking to us about how we can get jobs and be good as long as we win the goal or, 
uh, participate in the Olympics and don't disturb anything because everybody was worried about this show of force, boy, black boycott or something. And John Carlos said, man, we can't get no jobs out here. And we was like, hey, man, you're speaking to Jesse like that. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but he was true. John Carlos was the real deal, you know. Mm. And so then we said, hey, let's go and get it. And so we went out and started playing real hard. And then Bob Beeman came over to us talking, hey, man, in this altitude, I might just jump out of the pit. <laughs> because he's a long jump. Uh-huh. And sure enough. I was going to say, he, he just jumped, about did, didn't he? He set a record yeah. that lasted for how many years? I made 50 years. I feel like he, he had just broken out reach. Out I was going to say, he we almost like, oh, did jump man. out the pit. Yeah, we were like, oh, man, he jumped out of the pit. He didn't jump <laughs> out of it, but we just... Right, he was close. Um, so, so George Foreman says, "Hey, man, I tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to put the Russian to sleep. Whoever I'm boxing in the finals, I'm going to put them to sleep." sleep. Like, George, come on, man. You, you, we haven't said but three words all this whole Olympics. So now you're going to come up with this. Right now, you talking? Attitude. Yeah. So George said, and we said, George, you're going to have the red, green, and black. <laughs> He was ready, nah, though. man, I got a surprise for you. So when he knocked the Russians out, he pulled out the American flag. And we were like, hey, we are Americans. We are here. Right. As Americans. And then the big race was coming. So that's when everybody was nervous. So the race took off. And we was ro- and they were rolling. Tommy and John was, like, tight. And mm-hmm. then you had the Australian really tight with them. And as they turned that corner... Uh, John kind of looked over at Tommy, and Tommy was skating. He didn't even move. He was stiff. He was like rolling, like yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh fuck. So so he's like, John, don't look. Come on, keep pushing. And he looked over at the, at the Australian, and he lost that little middle second of a step, mm-hmm. and he finished third, and and Tommy finished first. And the Australian. Uh, I think what's his name, Peters or something. He finished uh, second. He got second. And then they got up on the stand and they put on those gloves. We were like, whoa, shit. I was going to say, was that so, had y'all discussed that in the village? Had they said anything? Well, like, they, but man, y'all wait to see what we do. about or... somebody doing something. But those two guys had their, their agenda because they were from that track club up in Northern California. They had been with Dr. Harry Edwards. They had uh, John Carlos had met with Dr. King. Mm. Uh, 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 let, let's see, they had meetings with Dr. King, uh, Jackie Robinson. All, every, all of the greats were Fun wondering with them. what we're going to do and how we're going to behave down there, you know, because it's a reflection of black folks in America. So we had to right. be kind of careful. And so. Um, did the Olympic Committee people ever tell oh, you anything? Was like, threatening everybody. I, I mean, was gonna say, I bet they were probably here. saying like, "Hey, y'all, just play no, ball." If you and, do yeah, anything just... here, we're gonna take your passport. You're stuck here in Mexico City. So when those guys got up on the podium and did what they did with the black glove, that's what that I was some do. powerful stuff because they could have been stuck in 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 Mexico City, right? Not getting home. So they so right away. When they received their medals and got off the stand, man, Avery Brundage, who was a friend of Hitler's back in the old days, he was the Olympic Committee person. Wow. I know. Well, I'll let you know how, how 
it really so wasn't he, all that long ago, you know? That wasn't that long ago. So he put he put him out. They put them out of the, the Olympic Village and made them march through us and all of, you know, as an example, don't you ever do nothing. Don't you ever think about it. And put them out of the village, man. And they had to fly back home. And, and it was just horrible that mm -hmm. what they had to go through after that, right. you know, for the stand up for, again, here we go, standing up for black folks. <laughs> Right, and they and don't stand up for you. For like right. I'm asking, I'm asking those players now, put my name on my rule, put some respect on my on my ruling, put my name on it. No big deal. My, I didn't know it wasn't on there, man. I don't care. I got my money. But anyway, back to <laughs> back to right. Tommy and John. They couldn't get jobs. They couldn't do nothing, man. It was like struggling for years and years, and everybody using that poster. Mm -hmm. With their fists up and everything, making money after money. Right. They didn't see and they are trying to struggle because we didn't take care of them. We should have taken care of them better than what we have done. Now it's starting to come around, but we sure should have taken care of them so much better. Uh, mm -hmm. George Foreman, when he became the champion, he did some good things for them, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was beautiful. Uh, and then we came around, it was our turn. To, mm -hmm. to go for the goal. We were playing, Russia got beat by Yugoslavia. So Howard Cosell corners, cornered me up and said, well, I'll tell you one thing, Spencer, you have done real good so far, but blacks in America is not going to be forgiven if you lose this gold medal in, in tomorrow's mm -hmm. event. And this and that. So I just had my stomach was just cloudy because I'm like, man, people in Detroit are gonna hate me. They're gonna kill me. <laughs> right. Like so pressure, pressure, pressure. In the, in, the, in the final game, you could see me go in for a layup and I run straight into the locker room, throwing up. Oh, I'm just 19 <laughs> years old. I don't know. What have I gotten myself into? Then I, I, I regroup. The trainer came in, get back out there. So I ran straight back out on the floor and set a record in points and rebounds and the field goal percentage, and we won the gold medal. And here I was on that stand, crying like a baby, saying, wow, three years ago, I was picking cotton and a slave in Silver City, Mississippi, and now I'm standing on this podium with the flag, with the gold medal. In front of the I, world. Ain't America great? Ain't the world great? Because I didn't have an idea that uh, that uh, that you could rise that fast, and my mom's when they brought her to the grocery store and she talked on the phone, she said, "Baby, I the, the Lord had you. That was not you. Do you feel anything different?" I was like, "Yeah, I feel different. I'm a hero." <laughs> and they, she said, "Well, they're going to have a big parade down here for you," and I forgot that it was a big deal for my family. And I'm now back in Detroit. I'm a militant, like, yeah, man, brother, brother, <laughs> bang, bang, dude. What's right. up, bro? Right. And you you going to Mississippi, man, for the parade? Nah, I don't think I'm going down there, man. They can't show me no love. Mm. But they showed me so much hate. And on my mother's deathbed, out of all the stuff that I did and didn't do or whatever, mm. That was the one thing that hurt it her the most was that mm -hmm. I didn't come back and let the family have that day of glory. And I realized then that humility is something special.
And it's mm. a great thing to have. And God is a great thing to have in your life. It's when you get arrogant, like I got arrogant at that point. It's the devil. And the same thing happened with me when I was with the Lakers. I let God go and said, I want to do it on my own. Mm. And my best thinking got me high for cocaine, uh, screwed up my career to some degree. I came back and had uh, finished my career in Washington, was mm -hmm. strong, but it, it was destructive in my marriage. It was just, it was a bad thing. And mm -hmm. so when I look at the Lakers series, went back, well, let's go back to winning time mm -hmm. on HBO, the Lakers series. Uh, we got a Chicago man playing me, Wood Harris. <laughs> Uh, he is doing a great job on great actor. portraying Spencer Haywood because he's a great actor. And so I'm, I'm very pleased with it. And I'm somewhat pleased with the show. I'm not like some of the others who feel that this, the betrayal and everything is bad. Right. But, you know, if we don't control the product, then we have to join in the journey. The journey. And so whatever happens in the rest of the series is uh, people know me and they know what I've done for players. And the funny thing, we were mm -hmm. together at Kareem's 75th birthday. We were mm -hmm. on the floor with the Lakers. LeBron came up and jumped on my, my arms. I'm like, what's going on, man? He said, man, <laughs> <Right. laughs> I, I'm watching winning time. <laughs> <laughs> and so the other players, all the other Lakers came up, hit me and said, yeah, man, thank you for what you did because they talk about that I haven't gotten any love from the players. Right. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking down on the bench. We're playing OKC. The whole bench came up. The whole team came up like, give me some love, big dog. No, that's love, yeah. I'm like, wow. So I thought this, this film was going to be the worst thing that ever happened in my life. It's turned out to be the best. That's so, life. That's life. I it? think that's, that's how life works. That's how life works. And God is good, man. So what's a, we, we'll let you out of here. We, thank you so much for, for taking this time with us. So what's what's next for Spencer Haywood? Got the Spencer Haywood, well, uh, Spencer Haywood Rule podcast going. What's yeah. next? Uh, the Spencer Haywood Rule podcast is going. Uh, I had a nice meeting with LeBron's company. Okay. For the movie or for the doc, for the documentary. Mm. Um, it's just... Um, it's a lot of gratitude coming and I've been, I met with Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA mm -hmm. and Tamika over the players association. They are looking to do something with the name change and mm -hmm. give me my respect on my name and let it be known as the Spencer Hayward rule. So that young players, when they come into the league, they will know somebody made a sacrifice right. so that they could be there and they would appreciate being there and not take it for granted. Right. So these things are happening around me, but I'm just sitting back and saying, hey, man, all I have to do is stay healthy, keep doing what I do for the NBA retired players. You know, I'm still on the committees, even though I was the chairman of the board mm -hmm. and we got a lot of things done. Uh, I just love the organization, love what, what, what we are doing, how we are taking care of our players. As I'll say this, thank you to Chris Paul, LeBron James, Steph Curry, and all of the executive committee for giving us nearly $15.5 million in health insurance per year, That's which major. is saving our players' lives. 
we have an event that's coming up this summer in Vegas. So the party is on and uh, we're going to have uh, a lot of screening for high blood pressure for all of the events that we're going on. And we're going to have a special screenings for prostate cancer, along with Mr. Chris, Chris Paul's dad, Charles Paul, mm. and some of the other dads of the NBA. That is a, a big thing for us too. Absolutely. To, to bring all of those people in. And those players are going to drop by probably and do a screening as well. Some of the, the top 50 players are going to be with, with us. When I say us, mm. I mean you guys, but all of right. us are retired players. <laughs> right. So right. It's part of our family. So I just I look at what you're doing and how we've grown. Because when I took over as chairman, we didn't have no money. We didn't have nothing. Now we got <laughs> money, rain, and cash everywhere. And I'm asking, uh, you know, you young players always ask me, what can I do? What can I do for you? I mean, there's some things you can do for me, like putting my name on, on this. But also, I know that they have foundations, and their foundations should drop. Each one of them should drop a million dollars on the Retired Players Association to raise our budget up to $50 million. That would be mm. nice. That would be nice. Let's see if we can get that, uh, get that, that ball nice. rolling. No, I'm saying it's, it's only tax dollars. They don't you're not, dollars you're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. that's my next sort of campaign of trying to, you know, because I see guys making donations to to organizations but it's nothing better than taking care of your own, the people who built things for you. Right. So who paved that road. That's my next that's my next journey. That's what's trying next. to get them to, you know, back everything we're doing, like they did with the with the health insurance. And mm -hmm. I, I say that was an awesome thing that they have done. But to also our organization should never want for money. If we got people making fifty million dollars a year and they paying twenty five million in taxes. Or you don't have to pay $24 million and give us a million. Right. It's right. a write-off. Right. Spencer, I, I know I got a little deep on you. No, listen. <laughs> but here's the, you're not I wrong, Scott though. Rochelle <laughs> and Aaron <laughs> and Cameron and all of them are like, yes. <laughs> I was just, I, I know Scott Rochelle's pumping his, who, uh, pumping his fist right <laughs> Dave Cowens. <laughs> Only thing I would say, well, I mean, 15 is nice. 50 is a nice step. Maybe we can get it to a hundred. Yeah, we can get maybe, it. Easy. Maybe we can get it's it. It's a hundred players. That's what I'm saying. Maybe we can get it from there. It's four hundred. Uh, four hundred and eighty players. For ish, yeah. Yeah. So we've been doing our part. Uh, yeah, to see you're doing your part. You got you got us in a good place. So, and that's the next step is this blessing that's coming by way of money. Make it rain, fellas. Make it rain. <laughs> y'all heard the man. Uh, make it rain. You know, I see y'all making the rain. I live in Vegas. They make it rain. I'll say you probably you probably see a lot of hey, that. Uh, drop it, drop it, drop it. Now I'm saying, drop it, drop it, drop it to the legends. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Spencer Haywood, thank you so much for dropping by the lounge. The Spencer Haywood Rule Podcast is out. When and where can the people check? Well, that it's out? on all of your your podcasts. Uh, my next one is um, I'm going to do Solomon, who's plays Kareem, okay, and uh, Wood Harris, who plays me, mm -hmm. and perhaps I'll get the gentleman that plays Jerry Buss. So that would be the next big podcast coming up, and we're oh. going to dig into the depthness of the film. 
Oh, Winning time. <laughs> on I HBO, bet you all on uh, HBO Max. I, I bet you all are. I'm looking yeah. forward to that again. Spencer Haywood yeah. will and look forward out. to two other things. Like sure. I said, um, the documentary Spencer Haywood because it's, it's a real true story and you need to know the whole length of it. And I've given you most of it here on this podcast here, but uh, that's going to be one of the, the greatest things that happened. And LeBron and his people are looking forward to doing some good work with us. I'm excited because he's such a quality person and his organization is um, a Spring Hill undefeated. I was thinking undef- uninterrupted. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, all of those guys, uh, they serious over there, man. They, 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 they preserve history. They do the right thing. They got another documentary coming up. I don't know if I should mention it, but I will. <laughs> uh, Jackie <laughs> Robinson, uh, the, the Negro League baseball players, and also mm. how they got all to all of them got to the majors. That's Tell yeah, you're paying some... story. And they doing uh, they doing the say hey kid too. I'll Willie, get some Mays. Willie Mays in there. Okay, yeah. so 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 They're paying some, the documentary there too. Paying yeah. some homage to our legends. We're paying yeah. some homage to our legends. Uh, Spencer Haywood, thank you for well one for joining us, but again, thank you for what you've done for this game we all love. We look forward to uh, bringing you back on once uh, we get the official rule change to the Spencer Haywood yeah. rule. And uh, until then, the people can catch you at Spencer Haywood Rule Podcast. Wherever you get your podcast is active now. Yeah, and I'll see you this summer. <laughs> Sounds Two good. Months. I was gonna say it's closer than you think. Uh, what is let's 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 was it the legends? Uh, it is the legends. The uh, getaway. The legends getaway. I was gonna say I don't what know time, the date, what but is it's, it gonna, when is it going to be? We haven't scheduled for. Uh, I was gonna say I don't know if it's a date yet. We. By the time this is published, we'll probably be able to have some dates on, so the people will know. Okay. Is, uh, okay. I'm see, uh, yeah, July or August. I, so. I would hope this year we would have. Shoot, if we could have like 300 players and families, because mm-hmm. this we've been in we've been locked down for a couple of years. We haven't mm-hmm. had our chance to celebrate each other, and you know that's our family get together. So absolutely, the legends of the NBA. Yeah. So we'll get a date on uh, July or August. That will be coming up. Um, but Spencer Haywood. No, I know so what it is. It's around July. It's during the summer league, isn't it? July. Yeah, that was I don't week. know which weekend, but it'll be in yeah. the summer. We'll have we'll have those dates. Uh, yeah, it'll be very hot too, for sure. Oh, absolutely, in absolutely. Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> but all uh, right. Thank you so much for stopping thank by the so lounge, much, man. man. I love what you're doing. I, I appreciate y'all. Thankful for what you're doing. Uh, you got an open yeah. seat here in the lounge anytime. Okay, thank you so much. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm. Bye. Right. Thank you for stopping by the Legends Lounge as brought to you by the National Basketball Retired Players Association. You can give us a follow on Twitter at NBA Legends Lounge and be sure to subscribe and rate the Legends Lounge on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll catch you next time.